All right, so speaking of Jesus, we're going to do a case study today, and I'm super excited, so bear with me. Ta-da! All right. So I have a whole list. And so what we're going to do is we're not going to go into like a deep dive into one particular story or one particular passage just yet. But what we're going to do is we're going to touch, we're going to touch, and we're going to touch. And what we're going to do is we're going to develop a pattern, right? We're going to study Jesus' behavior and the behavior of his disciples and his followers. And we're going to see what kind of pattern we come up with. You ready? All right. So Mark 16, 15. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. I love that word, go. Such a good word. So I've got a couple things on the board. We've got Jesus' behavior and disciples and followers. So with Jesus, they were commonly, he was commonly saying, let's go, or he, you know, he went. That was his behavior, right? And with the disciples and the followers, he taught them. He sent them, and often they were compelled to go. So we're going to kind of follow this and see what happens. So we've got Mark 16, 15. And if anybody has fantastic handwriting and wants to take over for me, by all means. All right, Mark 1, 38. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Why is kind of important. Mark 1.38. Mark 3.14. He appointed the twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. I know you probably can't read it all. Matthew 11.1. After Jesus had finished instructing the 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in all of the towns. This one's kind of a little bit of both. Matt 11.1. So we're kind of going to do that too. Matthew 4.23. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Matthew 9.9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed Nine, nine. Okay. Matthew 9, 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy. Oops. Matt 9, 27. Romans 10, 15. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring the good news. I should star that one. Yeah. 
And now we're going to step real quick back into the Old Testament for a hot second, where, it, it, um, where he is prophesying about the coming Savior. And it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to release from darkness the prisoners. I love that word, sent. Mark 16, 20. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. The Lord worked with them and confirmed his word in the sight, in the signs that it accompanied with it. Okay. Mark 16:20. Mark 8:27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? Again, he went. And I think you're already starting to see some of these patterns. Matthew 9, 38. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his field. Mark 1, 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news. Mark 2, 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, and a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. Mark 10, 1. Jesus left that place and went into a region of Judea and across the Jordan. And again, crowds of people came to him. And as was his custom, he taught them. Luke 5, 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting by his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. John three twenty two. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them, and he baptized. And Matthew 21, 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. Acts 10, 38, and Acts is kind of like the birth of the church. So you ever want to find out how church began? There you go. Open up the book of Acts. So Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Again, he went. Mark 
Acts 11.20, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 9.16, for when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I have been compelled to preach. And woe to me if I do not preach. Mark 1.45. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter towns openly, but stayed outside. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Luke 8.39, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. John 5.15, the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Almost there, guys. And Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and the end of the earth. Backing up a little bit again, Old Testament. Ezekiel 34:16 I will search for the lost and bring back the strays I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak Matthew 10:6 Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel Luke 15, 4, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And Luke 24, 47. And the repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to the nations and the ends of the earth. Now, what are some things in all of those that we can see? What are some behaviors that we can point to, some patterns that we can see? Jesus was always saying, let us go, right? And if you, if you read through all of the Gospels, one thing that you'll see is that man never holds still. 
He just does it. It's like he wants to go and have a party everywhere, I guess. But um, Jesus never holds still. That's not, he didn't come to have his own little groupies. He didn't come to have this little party with his friends. He came to seek and save the lost. So he was always going, right? Even when they said, we want you to stay, he would go because he had more work to do. He was going to seek and save the lost. He went. And what did he do with the disciples? What are some things that we learned from the disciples? First, he taught. Then he sent. And some of them, before he even got to send, they were what? Compelled. And what was, what was it that compelled them? Did you notice? I know I didn't go into a deep dive, and we're about to go into another one, so we'll get in more detail. But what was it that compelled them? What did he do that changed them, right? There was something in each one that they needed so desperately. In most cases, it was a tangible need, right? They were sick. They had something that was broken. They had shriveled hands. They had leprosy, which was an incredibly horrible skin disease that was so painful. Sometimes it was just the fact that they were outcasts in their society, right? Even the tax collectors, though they had wealth, they really didn't have any friends, right? They were outcasts, so they were lost. And so for those that he did something tangible for them, they were so overwhelmed and overcome with love and gratitude that they were compelled. So that's a little bit into that. We got through that case study. So we see exactly kind of the behaviors and the patterns of what Jesus did and what his followers did. And so as followers, we we pause and take attention to what their behaviors were. And not staying, but in going. And not being asked to stay, but being sent or compelled. Now, I've got a couple of images. We'll go through them kind of quick. Um, but there is nationwide, you tend to see a couple of different kinds of churches. And so this first slide is a church in a neighborhood and folks around them that are in need. But in this particular church, it's more of an inward focus. And so I'm sure you've seen them. I'm sure there's, there's hundreds of churches in the Grand Rapids area. And sometimes you can even tell which ones have open doors, which ones are in the community, and which ones really are kind of, yes, yeah, more like a club versus the church who is being sent, right? And so the second one, the second one is our goal. The second one is a church that has an outward focus. And I know the images are a little bit small, but kind of what you can see is you can see um, one of them is over there. They've got a group of folks who are handing out needed supplies. The next one is one where there's a whole community of folks that are out picking up trash. And we did that a couple months ago um, in the park over here. And there was a whole bunch of us that went and cleaned up the city park. And it was so fun. Uh, The bottom one is someone who is serving one of our unhoused neighbors and showing love there. Um, The top there is someone who's helping someone else who has fallen. Um, 
the hands, of course, to represent those that have emotional needs and how we can partner with them. And the bottom is um, someone who is volunteering in a, in a school and tutoring and just being that, that mentor, that positive vibe of love in someone, some child's life. And so when you have a church that's focused on sent and compelled, then you have an outward focus as a church and you find hope and you have joy. So those are kind of the two couple of churches um, that you classically find. Um, the next thing we're going to do is we're going to take a quick minute and we're going to do a little bit more of a deep dive study into the woman at the well for a minute. We're not going to get super crazy deep, but the woman at the well, and I'll basically tell you this story because I only have a couple of the verses up there, um, but she was a lady who was a Samaritan, and so if you think of someone who is neglected, someone who is not looked at well by those who are religious, right? There was a couple of different groups. There was the Jewish groups, and there were the Samaritans, and the Samaritans were kind of looked down on by the Jews. Like, you weren't even... In the Jewish law, you weren't even allowed to talk to the Samaritans, which is really hard. But then here's Jesus, and what does he do? He doesn't follow all those religious laws, right? He doesn't follow all the hypocrites and all the rules that they made up. He breaks them. And so he comes to this well, and there's this woman, and she's by herself. And the reason that she's by herself is because it's noon. And in that time and place... Most of the women came to the well in the early morning because it was still cool. It wasn't crazy hot. The sun wasn't pelting down on you. And she knew that. But she was looked down upon, even in her own culture, in her own neighborhood, because she had some baggage, right? She had some mistakes in her life. She had had several different husbands and yet now was in another relationship where she wasn't actually married, but she was looked down upon. And so she had a hard time showing her face, and the last thing that she wanted to do was be there in the morning and receive the ridicule from the other women in her village. So Jesus comes to the well, and he approaches this woman, and he asks her for a drink of water. And many of you know the story. And she says, why would you ask me for a drink? How are you even talking to me? Doesn't it, you know, doesn't it disgrace you? Doesn't it defile you to talk to a woman who is also a Samaritan? And the whole thing goes on. And she, you can tell from the narrative how bitter she is and how much pain she carries with her, right? I can just imagine it. If you think about your lowest moment, a time when you felt worse than anything, just imagine that moment in this poor lady as she comes to this well, and the last thing she does is want to talk about it. <laughs> but Jesus does what with her? He loves her. And I think that this woman has got like the coolest legacy in the whole world because this is the first person that Jesus told who he was. This outcast, this person who has been rejected by everyone, her family, her friends, her society, everyone is here has rejected her. But Jesus chose her to be the first one to learn that he was the true Messiah. He knew things about her 
and yet he loved her still. And so for her, this person who has spent her life being rejected and outcast, and I can only imagine how lonely and utterly helpless that would feel, Jesus came in and said, I love you. She was no longer alone. In that moment, it didn't matter what everyone else thought. Because what did she do? Right? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, what did she do, guys? What did she do? She was compelled. And not only was she compelled, she was compelled to go back and tell all of those who had been the cause of her rejection, those that rejected her, she went to them and said, you have to come. He has changed my life. He knew all these things about me, and yet he loved me. And he went to those that rejected her out of the joy that she was filled with, out of the hope that had been renewed, out of the hope that she had lived so long without. And she was so compelled with that joy and that overwhelming love from Jesus that she went and brought all of those who were the source of her pain to come and meet Jesus. I love this part. If you've ever seen um, the show The Chosen, they have this part in there and they do this video. And it's funny because she goes out and she is just jumping for joy, running and hollering and laughing as she's collecting this. And she brings the whole darn town back to Jesus. And the disciples were just in the town. And they come back eating a sandwich and went, but who did they bring? The disciples didn't bring anybody. And here's this lady who has been radically changed by the love of Christ. And she was compelled and brought the whole darn town with her. I think Jesus knew what he was doing. And the next slide just says, the, the cause was Jesus loving her and accepting her. The effect, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of her testimony. And the reason that I wanted to share this one with you today is because often I feel like we overcomplicate what evangelism really is. Right? It doesn't take a theology degree. It doesn't take someone who has been in the Word and been a Christian for 10 plus years. No, no. I've, I've seen our little ones downstairs who have shared about Jesus with another little one and helped lead someone to Christ. And if a little babe can do that, you met him today, you can go tell someone today. And someone can feel Jesus' love right from that. It's not about Bible thumping. It's not about turn or burn. It's none of these things. It's none of these things that give it such a complicated and sometimes polarized um, uh, feel to it. But it is about love and joy. So when evangelism is done best, it comes from this place of hope and this place of joy that pours out into testimony. And it's, it's not something that you'd go to class to learn. It's not a class that you're going to go to a university and learn in a seminary class. No. 
It's organic. It's a lifestyle. There is something about what God has done in your life. People can argue scripture and theology all they want to. That's what that just happens. I mean, we have this fight between science and religion all the time, don't we? But here's the thing. God comes into your life and does something for you. There is nobody that can refute your testimony of what God has done in your life and in your heart and how he has changed you. That, that is what evangelism is. That is how it has flown. So I have a couple of uh, reflection and action questions for you here at the end. And it's pretty simple. What has God done for you that compels you to testify? And how can you seek God? How can you seek God's help in being outward focused in your community? Now let me tell you, if you pray that prayer that says, God, Help me see people through your eyes. Be ready for what he's going to show you. Be ready for what he's going to show you, because he's going to show you things that you're like, oh my goodness, all this time that I missed this. But seeing someone through God's eyes is the most beautiful blessing that I've ever received. Now, before we, before we wrap up and before we pray, I just want to give us a minute. And I want you to think about some moments in your life. It's not a script. It's not some big form that you fill out. But think about some moments in your life. When have you felt God so dr- dramatically in your life? What has he done for you that has brought joy and that has brought hope and that can compel you? to share that with others. We were praising this morning, and it's funny how God does it, but in every single song that we sang this morning, there was something that resonated with what we were going to talk about today. And in one part, uh, verse 2 of that first song, it says, how can we contain it? Love, it's in our hearts. By faith we did not, we did obtain it. Now share it near and far. And in the next song, it was talking about how God brings light in the darkness and how good he is. And it's just amazing how the Holy Spirit knits these together. Those that put in the songs this morning had no idea what I was preaching about today. But God did. He's very intentional about the way that he leads us. It's all connected and it's all so beautiful. So what has God done in your life that brings you hope and brings you joy and compels you to share it just as the woman at the well? That's where I want you to sit for a few minutes. And then I'll close this out in prayer. And if you feel compelled There are families sitting all around you. My darling family, share with someone. You never know what people are going through when they're sitting next to you. And maybe they just need that slice of joy this morning. Maybe they need that moment of hope to feel and hear that God is still moving.
God is still working. He is still calling. He is still teaching. He is still sending. He's making waves because he doesn't just stay. He goes. So I'll give you a few minutes and then we'll pray. Dear Lord, we pause. We take a moment. And as we reflect on what it is that you've done in our lives, Lord, we ask you to help us to look out. We ask you to help us see others. See them through your eyes. See them the way that you love them. We all are in one shape or another, Lord, are broken. But we are also called. We are loved. And out of that love, we are then sent. So God, I ask you, where we have had trouble looking out, Lord. Help pave the way for us. Help speak to our hearts and our spirits and ask us to look up. Help us to be those vessels that you called to to teach and to share love and joy and hope to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And everyone is called. We are called to those around us in our sphere of influence. Those at home, those in our neighborhood, those in our workplace and in our schools, those in the grocery store. But God, help us to see where you have called us. Help us to listen to those nudges as you ask us to, Lord. Help us to bring the whole town of Samaria, the whole town of Grand Rapids here in 507 zip code, Lord. But help us to bring them all to your feet out of a place of love and out of a place of joy and hope. We thank you for the opportunity, Lord. We thank you that we are called not because of our own works, not because of our own successes, Lord, but because we were first loved by you. That tender love that you extend to us, that joy that you renewed in our spirit, Lord, I pray that you remind us today. Remind us and fill us so full of joy that it pours out into the streets around us, Lord. And I pray that your church will have a renewed spirit that feels compelled to share the good news, God. We love you, and we thank you for continuing to call us. In Jesus' name, amen.